0: Wildest dreams. He who brings the green stones to me must be a strong man, commanding and powerful, able to keep my treasure from the hands of others. My friend, I have eyes and ears everywhere on the waterfront. I chose you because I know you to be such a man. The captain's eyes, bleak and grey as winter seas, held the merchant's gaze. You have not told me what my reward for this task will be. The gem dealer averted his eyes from the captain's fearsome stare. He lifted his hand, exposing the emerald's green fire. This beautiful one, and two more like it. Upon delivery, the Dutchman's hand closed over the stone as he uttered a single word. Done. The boy ran, mouth wide open, gasping to draw in the fog-laden air. His broken shoes slapped wetly over the harbour cobblestones. Behind him, the heavy, well-shod feet of his pursuers pounded, drawing closer all the time. He staggered, forcing himself to keep going stumbling through pools of yellow tavern lights, on into the milky muffling darkness. Never would he go back. Never again would the family of his stepfather treat him like an animal, a drudge, a slave. Cold sweat streamed down into his eyes as he forced his leaven legs onward. Life? No sane being could call that life. A mute, dumb from birth, with no real father to care for him. His mother, frail creature did not live long after her marriage to Bjornsson, the herring merchant. After her death, the boy was forced to live in a cellar. Bjornsson and his three hulking sons treated their captive no better than a dog. The boy ran with the resounding clatter of Bjornson's sons close behind him. His one aim was to escape them and their miserable existence. Never would he go back! Never! A scar-faced Burmese seaman crept swiftly downstairs, where he joined four others at a darkened corner of the Barbary Shark Tavern. He nodded to his cohorts, whispering, Capitan, come now. They were all sailors of varied nationalities, as villainous a bunch of war rats as ever to put foot on shipboard. Drawing further back into the shadows, they watched the staircase which led from the upper room. The long blue scar on the face of the Burmese twitched as he winked at the others. I hear all. Capitan goes for the green stones. A heavily bearded Englishman smiled thinly. So, we ain't just taking a cargo of ironware out to Valparaiso. Who does Vanderdecken think he's fooling, eh? He's only going out there to pick up a king's ransom of precious stones. A hawk-faced Arab drew a dagger from his belt. Then we collect our wages, yes? The Englander, who was the ringleader, seized the Arabs' wrist. Aye, we live like lords for the rest of our lives, mate. But you stole that blade and wait till I gives the word. They took another drink before leaving the Barbary Shah. The boy stood facing his pursuers. He was trapped, with no place to run, his back to the sea. Bjornsson's three big sons closed in on the edge of the wharf. Where the victim stood, gasping for air and trembling in the fog-bound night, reaching out, the tallest of the trio grabbed the lad's shirt front. With a muted animal-like grunt, the boy sank his teeth into his captor's hand. Bjornsen's son roared in pain, releasing his quarry and instinctively lashing out with his good hand. He cuffed the boy a heavy blow to his jaw, stunned. The youngster reeled backward, missed his footing, and fell from the top of the wharf pylons, splashing into the sea. He went straight down and under the surface. Kneeling on the edge, the three brothers stared into the dim, greasy depths. A slim stream of bubbles broke the surface, then nothing. Fear registered on the brutish face of the one who had done the deed, but he recovered his composure quickly, warning the other two. We could not find him... Nobody will know. He had no relatives in the world. What's another dumb fool, more or less? Come on. Checking about to see that they had not been noticed in the dark and fog, the trio scurried off home. Standing at the gangplank, the Dutch captain watched the last of his crew emerge from the misty swathes which read the harbour. He gestured them aboard. Drinking again, yeah? Well, there'll be little enough to get drunk on twin here on the Pacific side of the Americas. Come, get aboard now. Make ready to sail. The blue scar contracted as the Burmese smiled. Aye aye, Capitan. We make sail. With flood tides swirling about her hull and the stern fenders scraping against the wharf timbers, the vessel came about, facing seaward. Staring ahead into the fog, the captain brought the wheel about half a point and called, "Let go aft." The finished sailor standing astern flicked the rope expertly, jerking the new end off the bollard which held it. The rope splashed into the water. Shivering in the cold night air, he left it to trail along, not wanting to get his hands wet and frozen by hauling the backstay rope aboard. He ran quickly into the galley and held his hands out over the warm stove. The boy was half in and half out of consciousness, numbed to his bones in the cold sea. He felt the rough manila rope brush against his cheek and seized it. Painfully, hand over hand, he hauled himself upward. When his feet touched ship's timber, the boy pulled his body clear of the icy sea and found a ledge. He huddled on it, looking up at the name painted on the vessel's stern in faded gold-embellished red, Flieger Hollander. He had never learned to read, so the letters meant nothing to him. Flieger Hollander in Dutch, or had the lad been able to understand English? Flying Dutchman. Chapter Two Morning light found the fog had lifted, revealing a clear blue icy day. The flying Dutchman ploughed past Gothenburg under full sail, ready to round the Skagen Point and sail down the Skagerrak out into the wide North Sea. Philip van Decken, captain of the vessel, braced himself on the small forecastle deck, feeling the buck and swell of his ship. Light spray from the bow wave touched his face, ropes and canvas thrummed to the breeze overhead. Valparaiso bound, where his share of the green stones would make him a rich man for life. He was never a man to smile, but he allowed himself a single bleak nod of satisfaction. Let the ship-owners find another fool to sail this slop-bucket around the high seas. Leave this crew of wharf-scum to pit their wits against another captain. He strode from one end of the vessel to the other. "'snapping-care commands at the surly bunch that manned the craft. "'Often he would wheel suddenly about. "'Vanderdecken neither liked nor trusted his crew. "'Judging by the glances he received "'and the muttered conversations that ceased at this approach, "'he knew they were speculating about the trip, "'plotting against him in some way, probably. "'His solution to this was simple. "'Keep the hands busy night and day. "'Show them who was master.' Van de Decken's quick eye missed nothing. He glanced past the steersman to so the ice-crusted rope left trailing astern. Signalling the Finnish deckhand with a nod, he pointed, St- Stole that line and coil it, or the seawater will ruin it. The deckhand was about to make some remark when he noted the challenging look in the captain's eye. He touched his cap. Aye, aye, Capitan. Van de Decken was making his way amidships when the Finn leaned over the stern rail, shouting, Come, look here! A boy! i think he's dead all hands hurried to the stern crowding the rail to sea. pushing his way roughly through the captain stared down at the crumpled figure on the moulding below his cabin gallery crouched there was a boy stiff with sea-water and frost vanderdecken turned to the men his voice harsh and flat leave him there or push him into the sea i don't care the ship's cook was a fat-bearded greek who had left his galley to see what all the excitement was about. He spoke up. I don't have galley, boy. If he's alive, I take him. The captain gave the cook a scornful glance. He'd be better off dead than working for you, Petros. Uh, Do what you want. The rest of you, get back to work. Lumbering down to the stern cabin, Petros opened the window and dragged the lad in. To all apparent purposes, the boy looked dead. Though when the Greek cook placed a knife blade near his lips, a faint mist clouded